Hello and welcome to the podcast for the October issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here and this is the issue of The Lancet Oncology that will be going to the European Society of Medical Oncology meeting taking place in Milan. In this month's podcast we're going to focus on an in-depth interview with David Cragg. He is one of the authors of an important trial which compares sentinel lymph node biopsy with axillary lymph node dissection for women with early breast cancer. But just before that, I'm joined this month by Emma Granger from TLO. Emma, you want to mention another trial, don't you, before briefly rounding up some other items in the issue? Yes, that's right, Richard. We have another very interesting trial in this issue, and that's in patients with gastrointestinal stromal tumours, or what's known as GIST. And the trial is a report by Lesesne and colleagues and looks to see if treatment with imatinib can be interrupted safely. Now, the trial has a primary endpoint of progression-free survival. Now, imatinib is a kinase inhibitor, and it targets the PDGF and the KIT receptors, and has really transformed the outcome of these patients. So the drug was initially developed in patients with CML, but has also been very successfully used in GIST patients. And the previous median survival in these patients was really poor. But now with imatinib, the two-year survival has improved from around 25% to 75%. But of course there are always issues and some of these issues are that toxicities can develop and cost is a factor too. Like most of these targeted agents, the drug is quite expensive and resistance can also develop over time where patients fail on treatment. So the idea behind this interesting trial, and we've seen similar sort of trials in the CML patient population, and that was to see if the treatment in those who had stable disease or better could be interrupted And, of course, if the study was successful, this would have major clinical implications. It would reduce costs, prevent toxicities, and gives the patient a better quality of life. Thanks, Emma. That's that's very clear. So what were the key findings from this trial? The key findings and the key clinical message from the trial that listeners should take home is that patients cannot safely stop treatment. Nearly all of the patients progressed in the interruption group. So the trial that we report looked at interrupting treatment in those who had been on the imatinib for three years and they had either stable disease or better. And the authors had also previously looked in cohorts that had one year of treatment and also in those that had five year of treatment with the similar findings, that is that treatment cannot be stopped. So it was thought that perhaps the three year cohort would do better than the one year group. And this is because this group has been naturally selected to have a better prognosis by the fact that they're stable on imatinib for three years. But of course, unfortunately, this was not the case. So the link commentator, Dr Heinrich, from the Portland VA Medical Centre in the US, provides a theory behind why the patients progressed. He suggests that imatinib is able to debulk or kill most of the cells, and this is a subset that he proposes can be thought of as mature GIST cells. But there are a few cells that are not killed by the imatinib uh, treatment, and this is a subset of progenitor and stem cells. He thinks it's that these cells that are left behind and resistant to imatinib, that when treatment is stopped, they then rapidly expand. So this suggests that the patient group can be thought of as having chronic disease, analogous to patients with diabetes, and unfortunately potentially might need lifelong treatment. So one or two other points to note from this trial is that the patients had a similar overall survival, and a time to secondary resistance. But neither of these analyses were powered sufficiently and so should be viewed with caution. And it's also worth noting that patients in the interruption group, when they were reinitiated onto imatinib, their disease was again controlled. However, the authors do suggest that unless a patient is experiencing major toxicity, that treatment interruption should not be recommended outside of a clinical trial. That seems like a very clear and important message. And just briefly, Emma, before we go over to David Craig, just tell us of 
any other highlights from the October issue? We have a really interesting mix of papers this month. Now, you mentioned the David Cragg paper, but other articles that we have in the issue include a phase two trial on pesopanin in metastatic differentiated thyroid cancer, an RCT that looks at reducing the dose of pamidronate in newly diagnosed multiple myeloma, another RCT in elderly patients in multiple myeloma, and finally a trial that looks at the use of a cardioprotectant, and that's in children who have ALL, who have been given doxorubicin treatment. We also have reviews on angiosarcoma and radio-labeled drugs to measure treatment response, and a personal view on reconstruction of the maxilla and mid-face. And finally, for listeners, I'd like to point out our Leading Edge editorial, which discusses the recent announcement by Vince Cable to rationalise science funding. And this is a very odd and really short-sighted decision, and I think it shows a complete lack of understanding of the importance and need for such research. So such research is really needed even more so in times of austerity and could be vital for the country's economic recovery. Thanks very much, Emma. And now let's hear from David Cragg. I interviewed him a few days ago. He's one of the authors of a very important trial which compares sentinel lymph node biopsy with axillary lymph node dissection for women with early breast cancer. Cancers in the breast will grow directly in the breast tissue, which will cause an expansion and increase in size of the tumor over time, but they can also spread through two other ways. One is by invading into tubular structures. That could be a blood vessel, and if a cancer cell got into a blood vessel, it would uh, break loose and travel wherever the blood took it. And if that cancer cell floating in the blood was able to lodge somewhere and uh, get outside the blood vessel and set up shop, it would grow there, and that's what we call a metastasis. And that, of course, is a very uh, serious uh, situation. The other uh, tubular structure that it could invade is what's called a lymphatic vessel. And the same situation as a blood vessel, that uh, tumor cells would get into this tube and be carried along. The difference between that and blood is is that in the bloodstream, it circulates widely throughout the body. But in the lymph structures, they have a very definite course in that they will go toward a lymph node or lymph nodes. That means that these cancer cells, if we could identify the lymph nodes that are the ones first to receive lymphatic drainage from the primary tumor, then we could find the spot where the cancer cells might first lodge. The sentinel node technique is designed to do that. And what happens is a tracer, either a blue dye or a radioactive marker, is injected into the breast. That fluid is absorbed into those lymphatic structures and follows the pathway of the lymph ducts until it gets to a lymph node. At the lymph node, the tracer is trapped whether it's the dye or the radioactive tracer, and it accumulates, and it allows the surgeon then to identify the very first limited set of lymph nodes to receive drainage from the cancer. Now, this technique does not tell us whether cancer has migrated into the nodes. It just tells us these are the nodes which are the ones to first receive cancer. So then at the time of surgery, The surgeon can then remove one or two or three first encountered lymph nodes, called the sentinel nodes, and leave behind potentially all the remaining nodes, which might be 15 to 20 lymph nodes. So we've reduced the operation from 
removing 15 to 20 lymph nodes down to just one or two or three lymph nodes, which is really the whole idea of this procedure. And that's the, that's the basic physiology behind how this procedure works. Thank you very much indeed. And I mentioned earlier that this uh, randomized controlled trial, this is the National Surgical Adjuvant Breast and Bowel Study, B32. Can you just comment on the design of this trial and explain its importance within the setting of, of breast cancer? This trial uh, was performed in a large uh, cooperative group uh, setting. That's the NSABP, which you just uh, described, which involves uh, a very large number of people uh, throughout North America. And after an extensive trial design, the final plan was to compare conventional axillary surgery to this much more limited sentinel node procedure. And the question is, can we achieve the same outcomes as an axillary lymph node dissection, but with a lot less morbidity and surgical procedures performed on the patient. And so then the idea is that we would measure two groups of women. One group would get the conventional procedure and the other group would get the new lesser procedure. And then the patients would be tracked long-term for the outcomes, which is primarily survival and regional recurrence, meaning does the cancer come back in the lymph node area, and then also measuring the side effects differences between the two groups. And that's the basis of the study design. Thank you very much. And do go on now and, and tell us about the key results uh, and you know, like the take-home messages from the trial and, and what you think the implications are for clinical practice. Well, the key findings are related to survival. Axillary lymph node dissection is has been used for many, many decades as the standard of care with the goal of trying to achieve the best cure rate, the best regional control, and of course, uh, obtaining what is called staging information, meaning knowing the status of the lymph nodes. If we have a procedure, the sentinel node procedure, the idea is can we achieve those things, again, with lesser morbidity. So in designing this study, we do not expect survival to be increased, like let's say a new drug study. It really is, can we achieve the same outcomes but less morbidity? We don't want to trade off less morbidity for increased uh, uh, death rate. This would just be an unacceptable situation. And so basically to compare equivalence between the two groups, we said and design the study so that if there was even a 2% survival difference between the two groups, this would be detectable. A typical drug study involves much greater differences in comparisons of survival, maybe 10% or even greater. And it turns out the number of women needed to assess such a small difference is quite a bit. And that's what drove this study to be such a large study that involved 5,600 women. And it was so we could, with confidence, determine that these two procedures are equivalent within that margin of error. The results are that, that there was no observable difference. It didn't fall outside that 2% range that we could detect. So uh, there essentially is no difference between doing the sentinel node procedure versus the conventional 
axillary node resection in terms of survival or regional control. The significance of this is that we can really put to rest in this population of patients whether we need to go ahead and do an axillary dissection, and the answer is no, we do not. An important clinical finding there, and do you think this should change clinical practice straight away? Yes and no. I think the yes is, is that we now have confirmed that this is an appropriate procedure to be done, and we can do that with confidence. I think uh, many people have moved ahead to perform this procedure, so uh, I, I think that, if anything, it will strengthen our approach in using sentinel node procedures only in the breast cancer population. Thank you. And finally, you've obviously mentioned how this has followed up previous research. What are the next steps then? There's a clinically important finding here, but just to be clear, what are the next steps, do you think? Well, that's a very good question. I, I think uh, the surgical community needs to continue to refine the procedure. There are many different ways to perform sentinel node surgery and it's not yet been established what the optimal methods are by which to do this. Fortunately, they all work pretty well, so we're already in a pretty good shape, but the technical realm is going to be an important area to continue to work on. I, I think it's also been a, a real educational experience for the surgical oncologic community in terms of how to introduce these really very technical new procedures into clinical practice. And I, I think this is something that is going to be also next steps as the next generations of young surgeons come along is how do we transmit this in an effective way. I think other next steps are applications of these procedures to other cancers, uh, esophageal carcinoma, gastric carcinoma, and other types of carcinomas where lymph nodes are being removed. Can we improve the quality of those surgical procedures and can we make them even more accurate? Indeed. Well, it's a very interesting, very important study. I very much appreciate your time. That's Dr. David Cragg on the line from the University of Vermont in the United States. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Oncology. Well, thank you very much, Richard. Many thanks to David Cragg and also earlier to Emma Granger. And thank you all for listening. See you next month.